0: Welcome to If Then, the show about how technology is changing our lives and our future. I'm April Glazer. Hey everyone, welcome to If Then. We're coming to you from Slate and Future Tense, a partnership between Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. We are recording this on the afternoon of Tuesday, June 4th. This week, we're re-airing one of our favorite interviews from last year. It's with Senator Mark Warner from Virginia, who currently serves as the vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, which is continuing its investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. Here, he explores in depth his thoughts on how Congress might approach regulating large technology platforms like Google and Facebook, which were instrumentalized by Russian trolls in a sprawling attempt to sway the 2016 election. We thought now would be a good time to revisit this interview in light of Monday's news that the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Antitrust is launching an investigation into Apple, Google, Facebook, and Amazon. This news came on top of reports that the Justice Department and the Federal Trade Commission are divvying up how they approach potential antitrust inquiries into the four companies. Beyond issues of competition, Senator Warner digs into why privacy regulation is important, curbing disinformation, and how Congress might get it all wrong. Also, keep in mind that we recorded this on October 16th in 2018, so you'll hear the voice of my former co-host Will Ramos. We hope you enjoy. The last several years have revised how Americans see the massive tech platforms that monopolize the time we spend online. There's the Russian abetted role played by social media during the incredibly muddled 2016 election, whose aftermath has forced executives from Facebook, Twitter and Google to repeatedly explain to Congress what they knew about Kremlin-linked content designed to widen divisions in American life and why they didn't do more to stop it. There's our deepening understanding of how these companies targeted advertising systems can lead to discrimination by age, race, gender and more. And there are the very real privacy concerns that they have forced us to confront as well, from the Cambridge Analytica scandal to the massive Facebook hack, the scope of which was disclosed just last week, together affecting over 100 million users. And we're now a year after the Equifax data breach, which affected some 145 million customers. Phone numbers, birth dates, private information about our curiosities, photos and more have all been wrongfully exposed by tech platforms. And now on both sides of the aisle, there appears to be a growing feeling that something must be done by Congress to regulate how these companies treat our information. With us today is Senator Mark Warner, a Democrat from Virginia. He serves as the vice chair on the Senate Intelligence Committee, which is conducting the congressional investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. He is one of, if not the top lawmaker in Congress, spearheading a growing effort to rein in the power of American tech firms and address the harms they've caused. Largely unregulated now, companies like Google, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft and Amazon have grown to become among the most valuable companies in the world. Senator Warner, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Earlier this year, you released a paper outlining various possibilities for how Congress might be able to step in and do more to ensure that these tech companies aren't making our elections awful and acting irresponsibly with our personal data. In your opinion, what's the most urgent issue in regards to U.S. tech companies and social media platforms that can be addressed by Congress?
3: Well, I think we need to move past kind of the where we've been the last 10 years where people in business and in politics have been totally enamored around the social media companies and the tech companies. And there's, or no, I mean, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Twitter, they've all been wonderfully successful stories. But I think starting in 2016, we've seen the kind of dark underbelly of, of social media, how in the case of our elections, um, Russians were able to come in and intervene in massive ways with fake information, with disinformation, and that was on the political context. What we've also seen has been manipulation around stock prices, around advertising click-throughs, and my effort was to say particularly – with a lot of my peers, my background was in technology. I was in the wireless industry, co-founder of Nextel. So I come with a little bit of knowledge. Many of my colleagues have very little knowledge. So what I've tried to do in this paper is to say, here are 20 ideas. Not all of them good, but I tried to break them into three buckets on how we might think about guardrails. One bucket is around user authentication and data authentication. Should we have some right to know if someone represents themselves on the internet, if they are that real person, or should we have a right to know whether we're being communicated to by a human versus a bot? Should we be able to know where a post might originate from? None of these are solve-all issues, uh, but there is that whole question around authentication. Second bucket is around privacy, and something I know, April, you've been working on for some time, and everything from... First-party consent to the whole, I would argue, slightly clunky GDPR approach of are the privacy protections. And the third bucket are the questions around are there pro-competition tools where some of these enterprises have become so large and so powerful that actually could be market-based solutions that might uh, provide some relief. So for example, being an old telecom guy, it used to be really hard to move from one company to another until there was number portability. Should we increase data portability? Uh, If you have increased data portability, we could take all of your data that you have on Facebook and move to a new platform. How do you also guarantee interoperability? One of the issues that I raised, for example, with Sheryl Sandberg was, you know, wouldn't it be great if users could know not only how much data Facebook or Google or Twitter has on us uh, by individual kind of... uh, data points, but also how much that is worth on a monthly or quarterly basis to those companies. So bringing more transparency, both the data and pricing might then provide, for example, areas for new competitors to come in that might end up intermediating between a user and a platform to provide different levels of security based upon a user's want. So the three buckets of competition Privacy and authentication—I think, or at least how I'm thinking about this issue—in terms of approach.
1: You talked about those three buckets, and there are a lot of good ideas in the paper uh, which we've read. Where do we start, though? Which which one do you think is most urgent, or which one can Congress actually achieve meaningful action on in the near term future?
3: A great question, and I think that's a—I think that's an—an an open question. I—I I also what I, what I try to tell my friends in the tech community is. We are one incident away from a massive overreaction. So, let me give you my uh, semi worst case prediction someone will do a major cyber hack all on Equifax or what we've seen recently with Facebook in terms of personal information, but it's instead of being 30 million users, say 300 million users, take that personalized information, communicate with individuals with that personal data that will make folks open up the message or the post, and then they'll see a deep fake video of images of a politician or a business leader or others. And then Congress will come in and, and go too far. So I do hope the companies would would work with us closer. Some of the low hanging fruit uh, are is in an area, and this will not solve all problems by any means. But you know, just this notion that both Twitter and Facebook said they were willing to move to to let individuals know whether they're being communicated with by a human being or a bot. Now, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with being communicated with by a machine, but maybe at least having that data point would allow people to have uh, you know make judgments on how much they want to believe or not. I also think, and this gets more Cumbersome when we talk about massive amounts of data moving into the cloud, but if somebody says they're will and they're say they're posting from the valley, but the post is actually originating in Saint Petersburg, Russia, maybe there ought to be an, a geo indicator that would pop up. Again, you can you could validate or. Understand the post, you could still j- judge it, but you'd at least know that it may not be originating from where the so-called user uh, would indicate. We might; those are things that I think members can get their arms around. That doesn't seem to be too intrusive. A much more intrusive area that also folks I think could understand, but this would have this would have huge pushback and would be probably way too radical to start with. Would be the whole question of being able to get rid of anonymity on the web and move towards identity validation. We have seen countries such as Estonia, which has had so much interference from Russia, where the Estonian population basically made an agreement that that they would validate by both biometrics and enhanced passcodes, identity validation. You might end up then with Two webs, uh, one that's still kind of the wild, wild west. One where there is identity validation, because we are seeing um, a move towards, unfortunately, the balkanization of the internet. And as more and more countries try to move towards, you know, maintaining local control over their users' data, India, the most recent example. Obviously, China, more on the extreme. So, what's doable, will in the short term, I think, is is easier around human versus machine maybe geocoding, maybe some of the areas around simply first-party consent around um, issues, for example, on privacy. I'm very interested in the the pro-competitive areas, so if there's a way recognizing government is pretty slow on the regulatory front, if there's a way to do this on a more competitive model, uh, but that will probably take a little bit more work in terms of educating members.
0: Okay, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more from Senator Mark Warner. So, Senator, uh, you you say that you fear an overreaction, but it seems that now uh, Congress really isn't doing much in terms of, you know, getting behind some of the policy options that you've outlined. There are bills that have been proposed and, and it doesn't seem like any have a lot of support. I am curious, though, uh, how powerful are the tech lobbyists in influencing Congress here or are causing Congress to drag their feet? You know, whether it's between lobbyists, public interest groups and constituents. I'm curious who's at the table with these conversations here.
3: Well... The conversations in a meaningful way have only started literally in the last six to nine months. You know, for I think a year to a year and a half after the 2016 elections, Facebook and Twitter kind of drugged their feet thinking that we would we would simply go away. And, and Google, frankly, just didn't even engage. And frankly, Google still, I think to their detriment, are refusing to engage in a meaningful way. So I think... It was only after, for example, the Cambridge Analytica hack became clear that um, at least Facebook started to realize that we weren't going away to policymakers and Americans were demanding an action If you look at the decreased use uh, amongst millennials of facebook, although they they simply were moving to you know Instagram and other Facebook properties, so it 's not like moving to a more competitive landscape it's It's only been recently that they've fully engaged, and I think there's been Amongst the Democrats, there was this kind of enamored feeling, particularly out of the Obama administration, um, towards the tech community writ large. And then I think amongst the Republicans, there was this natural inclination not to be for any kind of regulatory structure. And that's combined, combined with the fact that many of the Folks I work with don't even understand how these technologies work or the basic business model um, has made this a bit of an, both an education process and moving both parties, Democrats, to the point of saying, hey, you got to have some guardrails. That doesn't mean you're anti-tech and moving to the uh, Republicans to say, hey, just because we're talking about privacy, because we're talking about how we can at- increase more competition, you've got to look at-, at guardrails as well. And what we've seen is because – you know, In an area like this where America has always taken the lead, our failure to take the lead has allowed, the, for example, the Europeans to move forward with GDPR. And what I'm starting to see is in kind of cousin areas, another place where I've been very active is trying to make sure within the Internet of Things, next-generation connected devices, that we build in basic security on the front end. That should have been a no-brainer. We still haven't got that passed. So now instead you're seeing – Japan starting to take the model of, of my legislation, bipartisan legislation, and start to use that for their own IoT security rulemaking. I think America's failure to lead in a lot of these areas is going to come back and bite us.
0: You mentioned that Congress has been very enamored with the tech industry up until just recently. So perhaps that's led to to such an action for so long. Uh, you say in your policy paper that there's no form of deterrence now against foreign ma- manipulation in uh, social media, on U.S. social media. And I'm curious if you have a sense of what an appropriate response from the U.S. would look like here.
3: Since the paper, we are seeing government, you know, um, I think up its game. Part of government and part of this is our structure. Is that if Russia, with its hackers out of the IRA or out of its former spy services, former spy services, the GRU, are creating fake accounts and trying to interfere or hack into our election security, you know, it is the responsibility of the CIA to follow that abroad or the NSA to kind of try to have the cyber abilities to intercept those communications. Once you that somebody presses send though and that information then appears on your device here in America all that responsibility is transferred over to the FBI and Department of Homeland Security so this real wall we have which i think has worked for a long time between our domestic services and our foreign services I'm not saying they need to be rethought but it does make it, it it does make it more challenging in this realm of misinformation disinformation also i would argue in the cyber realm that we've not had a cyber doctrine since 9-11. We, you know, this goes back. This is not just a problem with Trump, it's Obama, it's Bush. And that's meant that near-peer adversaries like Russia and China have been able to either steal our intellectual property, a la China, or hack into the OPM, a la China, or interfere in our elections, a la Russia with the IRA and the GRU. And we've not we've been reluctant to use any of our tools to push back. So we've kind of been a A punching bag now that gets us into the whole realm of of offensive cyber capabilities which probably was a longer conversation we would have today Mm -hmm. but we need an articulated cyber doctrine so that our you know frankly not just us but there needs to be kind of the west writ large ought to have some policies that say if you use certain cyber tools um and we can define which ones you know that we're going to have lower attribution we're going to really be willing to punch back but that's one conversation on the on the The company's part, they have, again, also started up their game, and we've seen Facebook and Twitter take down accounts, not as much action on Google. We've seen Microsoft, for example, a couple months ago indicate both Iranian and other accounts they were taking down. They have upped their game some, but as we've seen by the most recent Facebook hack or the much more egregious uh, Google hack that they sat sat on for six months before they even reported, um, this is still not a top priority for the companies.
0: What are your thoughts on these companies trying to get their products into China and forgoing human rights protections that they'd adhere to in the U.S. and also potentially exposing their artificial intelligence work, which the U.S. military is interested in using as well, to the Chinese government? Is there a role for Congress to play in constraining how these companies move into China?
3: Absolutely. And one of the things, and I say this as somebody who's, my thinking has changed dramatically on China. Five years ago, I thought there was the ability to kind of peacefully rise together. I still would hope for that. But I think the the reality of the threat that China poses, the fact that the Alibabas and Badus and Tencents are, are in a sense almost agents of the state as we see Huawei and ZTE and the telecom area try to dominate the, the 5G standards, I think it is remarkable that some of these american companies purely for financial gain are willing to sacrifice their principles and give up their crown jewels to try to get access to the chinese market and so i'm leading a bipartisan effort again to really get some more of this information declassified not only to warn the tech companies but to warn others in terms of buyer beware not saying we don't do business with china but i'm saying we need a Greater sense of protections, and frankly, some of these companies, particularly companies that say they want to do no evil, you know, I don't know how they can square that when they would suddenly provide, you know, search engines where the Chinese government has enormous ability to spy and and surveil its own people. I would hate to see an American company be part of that. So we need um, we need to do more disclosure to our American companies. We need to. Press them a little bit on really, are you willing to kind of sacrifice all your principles to get into this market? And um, again, I think we need to be willing to call out some of these Chinese tech companies who, frankly, are very much tools of the Chinese Communist Party, at least, if not directly, indirectly.
0: Okay, one more quick break, and then we'll finish up our conversation with Senator Mark Warner.
1: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners. Whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds – Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Senator Warner, let's say you have a constituent who comes to you and says, look, I use Google, I use Facebook. I'm really afraid about how they're harvesting all my data. We had the Google Plus breach uh, or the at least exposure of personal data. We had the giant Facebook hack and the Cambridge Analytica. Your constituent says, I use these services and I'm afraid, but I don't feel like I have a choice. Now, when they testified to you in Congress, these companies said, Oh, of course people have choices. There's there's plenty of other social networks or search engines. Do you buy that answer? And is that what you tell your, your constituent or is there something <laughs> else you can tell your constituent?
3: No, I don't I don't buy that answer because I mean you know, it's you can't opt out even if you're not on Facebook. You may have friends who are who will have information about you. I mean these are these are companies with as much power if if not more than even the giant trusts that were uh, the railroad and chemical and shipping industries at the beginning of the 20th century and I think we are going to have to have this um, you know in a sense reckoning with them and I'm you know and but I have been concerned that I don't want to undercut the American companies to have them replaced by Chinese companies that may even have more information and even less restraints that's why I go for example on the On the information piece, you know, I'm really intrigued with this idea of more transparency. If a user really knew how much information Facebook has or Google has about uh, that individual, and if we actually had pricing transparency as well, because a lot of Americans believe, "Oh my gosh, this is all free stuff." This isn't free. Uh, This is you know, people are harvesting information about each of us, and they're monetizing it. If we had more transparency on that, that might inject more competition or might move us quicker on trying to put some guardrails again i don't want to stop innovation i don't want to slow it with undue regulation but i i frankly believe that this is a personal security threat i believe it's a national security threat i i honestly believe in a certain sense um Looking at our $713 billion defense budget, we may be buying in this country the world's best 20th century military in terms of tanks and trucks and rockets, whereas you know, our near peer adversaries like Russia and China are realizing cyber and misinformation and disinformation may be the tools of conflict in the 21st century. And I'm not sure we're fully prepared.
0: What can Americans who are concerned about these issues do?
3: You know, that's – I'd love to give you a – a clearer answer, I'd say, you know, write or email your your congressmen or senators. Um, but for many of the members, you know, maybe the young aide who's reading the post will understand it. I'm not sure that some of our members will. I mean, one of the things I because one of the things we've done, for example, on the intelligence committee was we spent an awful lot of time trying to educate folks about how. In this case, the Russians were using these tools, and I was really plow- proud when we had Jack Dorsey and Sheryl Sandberg. You know, nobody went off and started, you know, speculating about bias and algorithms. Um, you know, they got to the House, and it was a very different matter. I think the questions were more serious. But boy, oh boy, we do need to continue to educate members. You know, hopefully in a more bi- in a bipartisan way, um, so that we can get to the point of some guardrail. So I, I think, though, continuing to have individuals contact their their congresspeople and senators and say, if, particularly if they have concerns about the amount of information that these companies have about us. Say, you know, we have this huge concern that the government has all this information on us as individuals. I can assure you that uh, that if you're an active Facebook or active Google user, those companies have more information about your personal habits and what you do and where you shop and what you're interested in than the United States government has.
0: Senator Warner, thank you so much for joining us.
3: April and Will, thank you for having me.
0: All right, that's our show. You can email us at ifthen at slate.com. Send us your tech questions, show and guest suggestions, or just say hi. You can follow me on Twitter as well. I'm at April Laser. Thanks again to our guest uh, from last year, actually, Senator Mark Warner. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Warner. And thanks to everyone who has left us a comment or review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen. We really appreciate your time. If Then is a production of Slate and Future Tense, a partnership between Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you want more of Slate's tech coverage, sign up for the Future Tense newsletter. Every week you'll get news and commentary on how tech advances are changing the world in ways small and large. Sign up at slate.com futurenews. Our producer is Cameron Drews. Thanks also to Max Jacobs. He was the original producer of the interview with Senator Warner. We'll see you next week.